You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. Today, Hamid from the Iraq Body Count joins us to talk about the history of the Iraq War and the 20-year atrocity that followed. Um, how are you doing, Hamid? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, so it looks like you've written a few articles in The Guardian um, and uh, you've been working a lot about, uh, you do a lot of work related to uh, U.S. aggression and war in the Middle East. Can you tell us how you got interested? Um, sure, yeah. Um, well, it kind of goes back to 2002. Um, I had uh, been in contact with a, a uh, professor in the uh, U.S. Uh, called Mark Herald, who, had, who was monitoring and, and recording uh, casualties of NATO airstrikes in Afghanistan, and uh, using something that was new at the time, which was or relatively new, which was um, that uh, newspapers were no longer just publishing their stuff in print, but also on the internet. And he was um, he was a multilingual guy, uh, and he was able to uh, do something that previously only if you had like a lot of money or you were somebody like the CIA or somebody intelligence service, BBC monitoring unit. These people have all the resources to buy all the newspapers around the world to understand what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that's something we nowadays kind of almost take for granted that we can actually access information from countries around the world uh, and even you know, with really powerful translation engines that make it even easier and, and more uh, universal if we're interested, if we actually want to go and look and not just uh, stay in our little echo chambers. And so what he was doing was um, compiling a list of Afghan civilians killed uh, in the airstrikes to the best of his ability. And, and it's just a one-man show, really. And I was in touch with him uh, investigating, you know, how how his methods worked, how he dealt with contradictory reports and other issues. I mean, he was constantly coming under attack, including from the likes of uh, Human Rights Watch and others, uh, and various NGOs, uh, sort of established NGOs, who um, had their own uh, idea about casualties in, in uh, Afghanistan. Um, so. People would criticize his methods. I mean, he would get maybe one thing wrong and then people would like sort of throw away or, or <laughs> you know, request that people just discount his entire database, which I think grew up to around 3,000 people. I'm not sure now. Uh, it was probably over that. Um, and within, you know, just a matter of months. So uh, I wanted to see, you know, how one could do that, whether it could be justified. And uh, I spent some time online sort of defending his work from people, from various detractors. And then the Iraq war was looming as well. Um, and so I asked him this kind of obvious question, uh, was he going to do the same for Iraq? And I knew when I was asking him that, that uh, the one possible response from him would be, um, no, I don't have the resources. Will you do it? Seeing as you're so interested in this mm -hmm. stuff. And I expected, and sure enough, that's pretty much what he said. Um, and I knew when I was asking that, that that reply could come and I need to be sort of uh, willing to do something like that because nobody else was. And he said, you must, he told me, uh, you must meet this uh, guy I've been in contact, who's also been in contact with, uh, with Mark Herald. Um, who is uh, John Sloboda, mm -hmm. an academic working uh, in, in um, uh, the UK. And so um, he got us to meet. Uh, we talked about uh, the potential. We sort of decided that we both were committed to recording civilian casualties, to developing uh, some new methods that overcame some of the problems with Mark's uh, work. And uh, essentially began the Iraq Body Count project uh, way back in 2002 or late 2002. Um, in fact, we even began recording some deaths in, in January 
of 2003 because there were already, I don't, I don't know if you know about this, but there were these sort of uh, softening up strikes as the US Air Force liked to call them. I just... did not know about this. We'll get to this um, once you finish talking sure. about this. Oh my God. I, and I think of myself as very, uh, as at least in the top 10% of people who are aware, and I myself was not aware of this. In fact, they date back to uh, the summer of 2002. Um, and uh, Anyway, I'll get back to that later, yeah. So talking about how we began the project, um, of course, uh, we um, knew that it was pretty likely that it would happen. It just seemed like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the powers uh, were determined to go through with this war. Nonetheless, we joined the uh, 15th February marches like everyone else, still hoping that, you know, uh, just the, the, the force of numbers of, of people in the end, around the world. I mean, I think they were the, the largest uh, simultaneous demonstrations ever in history. And I'm uh, pretty sure that the demonstration in London that we were at was the largest demonstration in the history of, of the United Kingdom. Didn't work, uh, horribly enough. Um, so we were ready. We were ready uh, even before the war began because I think if we try to set up our website and our system and our methods and to put them online and all that uh, after the war had begun, we'd, we'd probably never have caught up. But because we were ready as soon as it began, we, we started the work as soon as some information started to, to flow out of Iraq about casualties. So originally, quite a bit of it from the information ministry and so on. Um, I haven't really talked too much about motives. I think the motive was really that, you know, I thought what Mark Herald was doing was, was wonderful because he was actually, uh, instead of the focus that we see uh, usually on the, the weapons and all this uh, nonsense about, uh, you know, surgical strikes and so on, and the precision bombing, uh, he was looking at the war from the point of view of what it's like for people on the ground. And uh, felt you know, for sure, there would be reports coming out of Iraq that also uh, described civilian casualties. But um, we have an expression in the UK, or it's an old expression, really, because it doesn't apply anymore. But, uh, you know, today's uh, news is uh, tomorrow's uh, uh, fish wrapper, mm -hmm. <laughs> something like that. And uh, that does happen. I mean, the news is just uh, replaced by, but there's like a constant churn of news, as you know. Um, and today's news is just buried by t the next day's news and news after that, and maybe something more spectacular happens and, you know, it just goes away. Um, nowadays, it's more about uh, web searches becoming increasingly difficult or uh, web links are removed and so on. So we just wanted to capture everything that we could about uh, uh, Iraqi civilian deaths. And I'll, if, if we um, continue on, on that civilian topic we can talk also a little bit about why we focus on civilians in particular. That's what's going to be my next question which I'll ask right okay. now. How do you differentiate between civilian and uh, quote unquote right. whatever the US government, British government wanted to call insurgents? What, because sure. to me I've seen so many where they go bomb a school and then they're like we killed 10 terrorists and then the next after uh, five sure. weeks they do quote unquote investigation sure. and revise that number. So how do you yeah. guys distinguish this? Well, first of all, um, the, the best time to do that is with the reports that come out immediately because, um, you know, it's, it's the on the ground reporting that, that gives you the, the, the most sort of vivid picture of, of what's going on. Um, in our, uh, the way that we code for civilians and uh, non-civilians for, um, uh, you know, the very sort of insurgent, as they're called, forces that they've been and so on, is that uh, basically we look at who who's who's being attacked. Um, so instead of, I mean, the, the reporting, uh, although the basic facts of reporting are fine uh, for the most part, in fact, a little bit of variation from source to source is kind of good because it tells you that they're not all speaking to the same medic or the same uh, you know, uh, police station and so on that they're getting the information from. A bit of variation is good, um, but uh, generally uh, the reporting, uh, when it goes 
strays from the bare facts that there was like a car bomb and that there were this number of people killed and another number of people taken to hospital. Um, and when they say things like, oh, this was done by Al-Qaeda, <laughs> or, you know, uh, uh, Al-Zarqawi uh, in, in, in uh, Iraq. I mean, Al-Zarqawi was the uh, supposed leader of, of, of Al-Qaeda in Iraq for some time. Yeah. And every single bombing, every single thing that was of a terrorist nature that targeted civilians or uh, target targeted uh, combatants, also called terrorists for some reason, uh, but sometimes there would be, uh, you know, civilians killed also in those processes, um, would be uh, attributed to al-Zarqawi um, by the media. And uh, we used a different approach, which I'll get to in a minute, but um, just to give an idea of how, how dangerous that or how misleading that is, um, al-Zarqawi was killed. Uh, by U.S. air attack in a relatively early time, so maybe 2006 or before that. I'll, I'll, I'll check. Uh, okay, he was killed on June 7, 2006, allegedly. There you go. Wow, I got it fairly close. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the very next day, there would be more bombings like that. Well, how are you going to blame Al-Zarqawi now? So, um, you know, then you've just moved to another, another actor. So we've always thought that actually there's no way that anyone can actually know who, who did this bombing. So we had a system um, which I've articulated uh, in, in some detail in a, a report we produced in 2005, where we did the first sort of aggregation of, of all that information for the first two years. Um, but basically it amounts to who, who who's being targeted here. So if it's, uh, if it's, the government, or if it's the coalition forces, or if it's a police station or something like that, a police convoy or, or, a, or a military convoy and so on, we just call them anti-government forces. We didn't and just use a broad category, anti-government or anti-coalition forces. Use the broad category instead of trying to do this thing, which is just so clearly, some somebody has told uh, the press that this was done by ISIS, say. It's a okay, it's yeah. fair enough. It's a terrorist type act. Sure enough, okay, we can see that. This is a book bookshop that's been blown up. Um, but do you really know that it's that? So I'm afraid in our database um, there's something uh, like I mean it's 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 a pretty large proportion. Um, it, it changes over time, but a pretty large proportion of the deaths that we have are unknown actors. We, you know, we'd rather say we don't know than just because someone said it was Al-Zarqawi in a particular instance that we just definitely know that. Um, having said that, it's actually not as difficult to identify when it's the US military doing it, uh, in, in many cases at least, or most cases I'd say, because I mean, who else has you know, aircraft to do the mm -hmm. attack from? Uh, who else has you know, got um, high caliber um, uh, heavy uh, machine gun fire and so on. So, and, and runs around in US uniforms. So, I mean, that that's generally easier to do. Uh, that doesn't cover cases like um, people sent to morgues. So all the morgue stuff that we have, we have a lot of uh, morgue entries in our, in our database where people, bodies are brought to the morgue who killed them? We don't know, but we do know that they were violently killed or that there were signs of torture on them and so on. So we put that down to unknown actors. Um, who actually caused that? Very difficult to say. I believe if one really did some on the ground, could do it, uh, some on the ground research, there might be some morgue records that give some clues. I mean, some of the uh, People working in morgues were, would look at the caliber of or the type of bullets that were used to kill people and draw some conclusions from that about who's likely to, to uh, uh, kill people, um, kill the, the people delivered to them. Um, but it, the, the question of who did it is one of the most difficult ones. That's why when I see reports out of other conflicts and people are so sure about mm -hmm. who did stuff, um, a lot of it, a lot of that is straight up propaganda. Oh, for me, um, one of the worst types of propaganda was in 2004. It happened in Fallujah, 
where the yes. U.S. government went and attacked a hospital yeah. because they were allegedly spreading propaganda about U.S. civilian casualties. But what they yeah. really had was a morgue, and they were saying, "I we have putting photos of bodies they couldn't identify so that family members can come back. But they, yes. they just brutally attacked that hospital, and it stayed with me in my memory for a long time. Uh, I just remember yes. that. And, and th then let's not even get started with all the other propaganda about Iraq, like the incubator <sighs> babies, Saddam Hussein's human shredders. Uh, 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 yeah, I, and, and so it seems like this propaganda was this like complete nonsense, total lies made up from the whole cloth was there to kind of obfuscate the real issue of this aggressive attack on Iraq itself. What do you think? Um, I talk about the propaganda around the I mean, there's propaganda within the attack, during the attack, mm -hmm. during the occupation, there's that. And of course, there's the propaganda, uh, which is uh, essential uh, to uh, starting wars, mm -hmm. which is to just uh, lie people into thinking that there's a threat that there's, you know, from this uh, enemy and so on. Um, I think that's been covered, you know, pretty uh, widely. Yes. Um, but I mean, there's like much more subtle stuff that goes on that that uh, is more about perception and media management and so on and, and so, i believe you brought I mean, that up so let's let's talk um, about that so the um i i i i mean this is not iraq war but uh, i don't are you familiar with the american newsman brian williams oh yeah he was uh, the guy who was like wasn't he the guy who was saying something like the beauty of exactly the, the beauty of the bombs malcolm i want you to go into greater detail we see these beautiful pictures at night from the decks of these two u.s navy vessels in the eastern mediterranean i am tempted to quote the great leonard cohen i'm guided by the beauty of our weapons um, and they are beautiful pictures of uh, of fearsome armaments making what is for them a brief flight over to this airfield. I, I mean, it was horrific. Um, but so there's the I, I just remember that. But uh, OK, so he was there during Iraq. He was embedded with the troops, right. with the U.S. troops. I don't even know. So being embedded itself means that there's a you only or you only see what the U.S. military allows you to see. Yes, you get Stockholm Syndrome for a start because, I mean, an intense form of Stockholm Syndrome because uh, your life actually depends on these guys looking out for you. you know? ah. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not going to survive if you really, really uh, do things that those soldiers around you see as a threat to them and mm -hmm. you know i mean maybe you will maybe there'll be no consequences but you'd have to be a heck of a reckless person to say hey i'm gonna uh, shoot this film now that shows shows you uh, you know uh, committing a war crime or something like that that's if they do the war crimes in front of the witness so i mean it's it's a very you know uh, people obviously you know it's a high intensity situation i mean the whole idea of embedding is is you can understand it because like are they just supposed to wander around uh by themselves and probably get shot up by u.s forces which happened to a lot of journalists by the way yeah journalists I mean, who are outside the embedded system were killed by uh u.s fire Tariq Ayub from Al Jazeera, like they literally bombed three al jazeera offices the very first day i remember yeah, that yeah yeah i mean did they just um they there was a also a hotel that was bombed by a tank from a great distance mm -hmm. <laughs> that's like uh just like this somebody took aim and fired into a hotel room from the kind of distance that modern tanks can quite easily hit the target from killing uh some Reuters journalists so I you know obviously not the most famous killing of Reuters journalists which we'll probably get to later but um there were Reuters journalists were killed, other journalists were killed, international journalists were killed. Uh, I don't think in the embedding context, actually, uh, that any were killed. But in any case, embedding obviously provides like a, the, the safest way for a journalist to. But it also provides the, the most theater. biased information for the audience, in my opinion. 
Well, absolutely uh, biased in terms of their interpretation of what's going on, that, you know, situations that they observe, they will take the point of view of the people that they're with, that there was like a threat to them and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, not, to be fair to these guys, not every journalist did that. Maybe these sort of more famous ones, maybe there's one reason why they're so pride. pride. <laughs> Exactly. Um, maybe, you know, I, I don't remember what Brian Williams did in Iraq specifically. Do you remember anything? Yeah, I remember Brian very Williams? clearly. Tom, we asked the U.S. Army to take us along on an air mission. They accepted. We discussed the danger. We were aware it was Iraqi airspace after all. We weren't cavalier about it. Then things just started to happen. It was supposed to be a routine Army aviation mission, and it turned out to be one of the most dangerous missions they've launched here so far. Four giant Vietnam-era Chinook twin-rotor helicopters. Lifting giant sections of a steel bridge to be erected inside Iraq over the Euphrates River, a 17,000-pound chunk of steel dangling beneath us that made our small armada a low, lumbering, and inviting target. Down below the villages of the Iraqi countryside, some but not all had been visited by American troops headed north toward Baghdad. Our lead chopper pilot remembers seeing a pickup truck driver stop and wave while another man pulled back a tarp, stood up in the back of the truck and fired an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade. Rifle fire came from yet another Iraqi. We took fire on the way in. All four choppers dropped their load and landed immediately, the grenade wound clearly visible. In minutes, the weather closed in, and a round-trip, one-day mission became a three-day stay. So look at this. Of all the places to ditch four choppers in the moon-like desert of Iraq, this might have been the safest. The armored mechanized platoon of Lieutenant Eric Nye quickly surrounded us with tanks and Bradleys. Infantrymen took up position, protecting four vulnerable birds parked shoulder to shoulder on a plot of land considered hot for the presence of armed Iraqis nearby. Lieutenant Nye told us this was not yet the war he had been briefed on prior to the invasion. He estimated he had killed 65 Iraqis just a couple of miles from here, but they were hardly soldiers. How would you describe the quality of the Iraqi soldiers you've encountered? Guys in, in pickup trucks with mounted uh, machine guns and RPGs. Looks like they got together a group of civilians and said, you know, here, defend this field. With the M1s and this, uh, rolling into against those guys, it really wasn't a fight. It was more of a a mop up. Life in this patch of Iraqi desert without a name became all about survival inside a hollow grounded Chinook helicopter. As a colossal sandstorm arrived like an orange wall in the sky, forcing the crew inside for a card game. It lifted this morning, just long enough for us to get out. Ah, I remember what the campaign, it was called Shock and Awe campaign, right, in Baghdad? Yeah. Yeah, it was a very glorifying campaign where they've ignored everything that happened to the people of Baghdad, and it was yeah. only seen as kind of like almost like a sporting match. It was a bit like, um, well, the the uh, raising of uh, of Baghdad was a bit like the scenes from. Have you seen the film War of the Worlds, the one with uh, Tom Cruise? Yes, I've seen it a long days. time ago, so I don't remember it perfectly. Right. but I've seen so, the yes. So there are these supremely powerful machines that people have no chance of resisting. Exactly. No way. And they just casually float over, you know, just uh, the, the, the city, picking up targets at will, no haste, mm -hmm. just, you know, hovering there. And that was a bit like how the gunships were in, in uh, the, the helicopter gunships and so on were in Baghdad, floating lazily, slowly, bombing stuff, moving on, bombing something else. Uh, so that, that was um, what that was like. There was, there was, the resistance was very small. It's nothing like um, the war in Ukraine now. Yeah, I, uh, I, mean, I was personally in Lugansk a few months ago. Yeah. I'll be going again. Not to maybe Lugansk or Bakhmut, and yes, it's a completely different animal, and there's literally no comparison. The, the Iraqi military melted away. 
what what sort of heavy weaponry they had, the, you know, a few uh, Scud missiles or something. I mean, just nothing. Uh, I don't know if they even still had Scuds there. Probably there was a few left. I mean, they just had nothing. <laughs> they had no response. Yeah. And they had. I mean, I'm sure some some units must have put up a resistance and been uh, mown down. But uh, generally, um, the U.S. forces met almost. I mean, what's different about that and Ukraine is that you have two armies fighting it out using the best weapons they can get into the theater to fight with. I mean, you know, heavy, it's yeah. heavy stuff. It's World War II type stuff um, with a bit of World War I mixed in. Uh, it, it's very, and of course, World War Three. if you want to think of it that <laughs> way. Um, World War Three, just short of nuclear weapons for the time being. We hope yes, forever. Soon to be. <laughs> we, we hope forever. <laughs> but what you had in in Iraq and the invasion of Iraq was just just uh, steamrolling over everything that was in the way. And so within just, I, I guess you've probably seen this elsewhere. Uh, within the uh, first few weeks, um, we had already recorded uh, seven and a half thousand or so civilian deaths. I mean, we didn't record them at the time because like it was just way too intense but there was like uh afterwards there were surveys that went in to speak to hospitals speak to uh the authorities within iraq who had to deal with all the bodies and so on um and that's the, the sort of figure that that uh, we have for for that phase um and then it's sort of you know that stuff ended soon after I kind of want to dig deeper into the point of view bias that you mentioned earlier with the press. So yeah. kind of discussed how they're embedded and so they only give one, yes. one point of view. And can you talk about the other kinds of information bias in reporting these deaths that you mentioned earlier? Okay, so I think uh, I think one of the major biases which uh, doesn't affect um, what you say about the victim, because if, if you're, I mean, our focus is on the victims. Mm -hmm. Our focus has never been, well, actually, now, back, I'll backtrack a bit. It, 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 at the beginning of the conflict, uh, our main focus was simply to record um, the, the deaths caused by the invading forces and uh, to sort of mirror that back to the Western public. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, because we felt well, the Iraqis know what's going on in their country. Mm -hmm. we, we don't really, and besides which, we had no way to reach them, really. I mean, we're mm -hmm. just a small group, we were just, um, you know, we're all volunteers, so we have no, you know, the, the uh, thankfully setting up a website doesn't cost much and the rest yeah, and, and the various systems we came up for, with for collaboration, we are, but, you know, um, there, was, there was no way we, we could reach Iraqis uh, when there was no internet for Iraqis at that time, essentially, it was no use, but we could reach the West. Um, and so our focus was solely on that. But then we began to think about, well, wait a minute, what about uh, Iraqi civilians who are being killed by Iraqi forces uh, when they're retaliating or trying to defend themselves from Western forces? You can't say, oh, well, that civilian uh, wasn't killed by the invading forces, actually, they were killed by the Iraq. So we just said, hang on, we have to change that approach. I mean, this is like early on within weeks. What, what we decide then is that everything we do would just be victim-centric. Mm -hmm. If you're killed in violence and we can connect it in, in some uh, reasonable way to the invasion, then uh, it, it doesn't really matter who killed you. We're going to record you, your death first. And uh, the perpetrator is like important, of course. And if we know it, if we have any information about it, we will record that. Uh, but that's comes secondary after making sure we recorded the death first of all. Um, so so um, one of the ways in which, uh, you know, it, it's really important and, and a really important way in which um, uh, casualty records can become something harmful rather than something that's just respectful of of humanity and making sure that you know lives are not just extinguished without there being any public record of when, how, where, who they were, mm -hmm. uh, the circumstances. That's that is a sort of respectful approach to that that we have. Focusing solely on one 
perpetrator mm -hmm. actually can become uh, a, a part of how you propagandize for more war. <laughs> because, you know, if you focus only on one perpetrator group, then that allows the other side to just focus on how to retaliate for that to that and just makes them out to be evil and different from you when uh, I guess from our point of view it's, it's war that's evil. Uh -huh. War is always going to kill lots of people, soldiers of course, but in the modern age a lot of civilians, maybe more civilians, in fact in our case, definitely, definitely more civilians. Yeah, so uh, this this it, it's really important to record on all sides, and there have been efforts done um, for the uh, Balkan Wars, where um, they've tried to create censuses and uh, records of all the people killed on all sides, by all sides, of all backgrounds, mm -hmm. and put them essentially into the same document. Same time, I mean, it's like a, a volumes of books with biographies of each individual, you know, their story, who they were in life, details of how they were killed and so on, uh, in just one complete record of, oh, as, 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 you know, humanly possible, as it, you know, is this humanly possible to make, um, of the people killed in that war. Uh, but it's important that they actually didn't just focus on, well, these were the people killed by the Serbs. Oh, well, these were the people killed by in the US bombing. And, you know, that, that kind of thing uh, just lays the groundwork for retaliation, more violence and so on. Um, I don't know. I mean, are you, I've had to just pretty much um, look away from the war in Ukraine in terms of casualties caused yeah, no, and so on. I mean, I've been to Lugansk. I am. I'm in Russia right yeah. now. I've been covering the. I can't. It's like I. I that's what I've been doing a lot of. So, um, in a, there's a the amount of misinformation and propaganda is yeah. unprecedented. I just have not, especially on the. It's just shocking. Um, yeah. And a lot of times what you do, what I, we see is like they are so in a rush to like, there's no way you can find out who did it like that. Uh, usually, like, it's very, very, very hard. But Western mm. presses are so eager to like point blame that they just like, mm, I, I, they, 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 even when they don't have data, they apportion blame. So yes. it, it's yes. uh, um, and then there's not just um, the forces. There's, of course, the uh, the the irregular brigades like the Tornado Battalion and the IDAR and whatnot. And so, it, it, and all I see is no investigation, quick rush, and blame. And then it, it's like it's so that it just leads to uh, more vilification of the other side in order to justify a response, an equally violent. Or anyway, at yes, least exactly response. that. Um, um, I don't doubt that it probably goes on on both sides, but I see the Western side here, yeah. and what I, I notice is also that the the I just keep seeing these big numbers coming out. Now, the thing with Iraq body count is that we record stuff as incidents. There's no there's no black box where you know we put in some data and uh, out comes this figure that we figured out mm -hmm. somehow by our, you know, uh, great, uh, some, some stuff that nobody will really be able to figure out using complicated statistical methods. Uh, we record each report of an incident. Um, we've now uh, created a database entry, which we publish online. So that it, it's, there's no, um, you know, apart from being able to read and being meticulous and, and you know, uh, having a lot of stick with it, there's not no special skill required. You just need to follow a, a consistent method so that the, the data record one year is as consistent as possible as, as the year after. Um, and then you, you put it online. So if, if you know, somebody says, wants to, to quibble with, with some of my information, say, no, there was never a car bomb, there was never a, a mortar strike, there was never an airstrike or a gun battle, in this place, so there were no bodies found there on that. You, you say on this particular Saturday morning in this marketplace, there was an explosion which killed. That never happened. OK, 
okay, uh, maybe we made a mistake. You can challenge it. Um, so far, we have uh, 50,000 separate incidents that we've recorded, more than 50,000, but separate database entries, which all give the, the background to where this database entry comes from, what the numbers are, and so on. And uh, so far, no one has ever successfully challenged any of that. Early on, when we began, there was like a lot of pro-war people mm -hmm. thinking that, you know, because we were doing this, this was somehow a pro-Saddam gesture. gesture. But of, of course, that's <laughs> just, that's, I mean, that's the equivalent of today's Putin lover and, and so oh, forth. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish I had a ruble for every time somebody accuses me of being a Putin <laughs> puppet because I'd be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the way the ruble's gone. <laughs> uh, a lot of people in the West don't understand. There's a lot about this I myself don't understand. In your website, you talk about the Fallujah campaign. I know yeah. that it was one of the most, so it was in 2004 and early 2005. It was one of the most brutal campaigns. They used white phosphorus and even today there are, okay, so there's going to be two questions. Okay. There's like Fallujah birth defects. Um, yes. So now why was that campaign so, so intensive? Um, like what was the, was there a strategic yeah. reason? If so, what, what made it strategically important for the coalition forces to, Pacify yeah. was the word they used, Fallujah. So one thing that I, I think of uh, in relation to actions like that, but we'll get into the specifics in a moment, but uh, one thing to think about is that um, actors who use violence mm -hmm. as part of their means of, of achieving their ends, they also use um, violence as a form of communication. It's ah. also a way of saying something. Saying like, for example, we are in charge, not you guys. Mm. We, if you do such and such a thing, let us teach you a lesson. So I think uh, we know, as you recall, that the Fallujah, it wasn't the first attack. That's not the first thing that the U.S. did in Fallujah, by the way. There was an attack on a school in 2003 that was just terrible, killing children and their parents as they were marching in protest towards a school, which the U.S. military had commandeered, just decided they commandeer a school. And the children and their parents were marching on the school to protest this, and they were fired on from, uh, from the school by the U.S. who had, had occupied. That was in 2003. In 2004, the, and so that already you can just imagine this, this, is a, this is a society with extended families, there are clans, you know, things like that are just not just like forgotten as if you were like living in uh, where I live in London, you know, mm -hmm. something happens over there and it doesn't, if it happens in the next, you know, borough, it, it doesn't really affect me. Mm -hmm. But in, in, Fallujah and in, in Iraq more generally, there's high awareness of what's going on in, in other parts, especially of the same city. Um, and so that, that already created, uh, understandably, a huge hostility towards the US occupation. Um, and then there were some contractors so, you know, contractors. The Blackwater contractors, yes. Yeah, quotation marks, right? And they call it, a contractor in the US, as I understand it, is normally someone who comes and fixes your roof or something Ex like that. Exactly. Um, in, in, right. in this case, I guess they were, quote unquote, providing private security, whatever that means. Yeah. Nice sounding stuff like that. So, anyway, uh, these people, uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances. But, but basically, um, about a week before this incident happened, they mm -hmm. fired into a crowd um, in, when they were allegedly transporting some important dignitary diplomat, somebody mm -hmm. in the town, mm -hmm. and they literally sprayed bullets all over. And mm -hmm. then, um, so a lot of, it was very bloody, it was very public, and everyone saw it. And then about a week later is when they were killed by local townspeople, and then mm -hmm. their bodies were burnt and put on display near a bridge. Yes. Okay. Yes. That was a very, I mean, that, that shocked the bejesus out of people in the U.S. Because it suddenly made it, the U.S. or U.S. citizens who were sort of just used to just 
uh, acting as they wished in Iraq suddenly looked very vulnerable and weak. Uh, I mean, I mean, it just, you know, it was like a horrible, I mean, it, was, it was intrinsically horrible, of course, but it was also like a, a, a horrible message conveyed essentially to the US to say, look what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, why, why string those bodies up on a bridge except for display purposes, you know, to say something. It was a message. <laughs> and the message came home loud and clear. And you can just you know, you don't need a heck of a lot of imagination to think how that went down with the uh, macho attitudes within the top brass of the US military. I mean, it's just, you know, they were not going to take that challenge uh, to their to their dominance uh, lightly. So uh, we have the first siege of Fallujah in April, um, and that uh, was where the hospital uh, was one of the main sources for the information on casualties, including the information that we used mm-hmm. in Iraq body count. And that is why, to get back to something you were talking about earlier, um, in the second, the second siege of Fallujah, the first siege didn't go completely to plan, uh, but the second siege, they planned it out more, the second attack really, the, uh, the first was the siege for, you know, with an attack and so on. But the second was, was I guess, uh, from a military point of view, better planned from the American point of view. And um, they made sure that that hospital would not be giving out figures. So all the figures we really have for that attack are from bodies that were uh, recovered afterwards. I mean, it's one of the few entries in our in our database that we just put down uh, in the database, um, you know, on, 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 the, on the website as provisional because, you know, the, the information just uh, wasn't really adequate. Um, but we, I mean, it's still a, a large number of people killed, uh, of, uh, including uh, women and children, of course, who were supposed to have been evacuated, but obviously they weren't all. Okay, um, okay. So now I have a follow-up question. Um, so then we know that the U.S. used white phosphorus depleted uranium and mm-hmm. there are birth defects even today. Do these count yeah. as civilian casualties in your database? Well, the thing is, it's not really something that we can monitor. It, it doesn't like make the news. What, ah. what you, I mean, it will not, I mean, people will not sort of report, oh, yesterday was like a, a horrible uh, case of, of a malformed baby who, you know, lived for a few minutes and died or, or whatever. That, that's not, that's, it's just not what um, you know. Uh, conflict reporting is like, and so the only way to do that is to do it through um, specific uh, medical records or uh, studies that look at me- medical records. Um, some I mean, I've seen some recently that are getting more and more um, rigorous. I, as you know, when to get something published in a in a medical journal is not the same thing as getting it, uh, putting stuff online um, the way we do. So, I mean, we've, we've, we've been published in scientific journals as well, but, uh, you know, the, the, the vetting process of that is, is on a whole different level. Um, I would, if you ask me, shouldn't we add those to our database? Um, I think there's an argument for saying that, yes, but it would have to be some separate section. I mean, the thing that's even harder to do, because that's not the only kind of health effect that you get from conflict. Uh, if you have like a medical condition that doesn't get treatment, because, or, or where the treatment is substandard or well below standard uh, as a result of, of attacks on, on infrastructure or just generally the country is in such a sorry state, or you have sanctions, those those kinds of estimates that you get for you know children killed during the sanctions period for example mm-hmm. they're all based on looking well at well how many children normally die anyway i mean there's, there's always going to be you know uh, stillbirths there's always going to be mm-hmm. um, neonatal deaths and so on that that's that's kind of normal um but how do you attribute them to the sanctions or some other like a, or like a conflict and the way to do that is to look at the normal rates and then, or if you don't really have good data, look at comparable countries nearby 
uh, you know, neighboring countries and so on, who have a, otherwise would be in a similar situation um, to, to or that you'd be in a similar situation to if you didn't have a conflict going on. And look at the difference and then say, well, you know, we estimate that as a result of the conflict, there's been this many additional deaths than would have happened due to, uh, you know, based on records of, uh, of congenital uh, defects and so on. Um, I mean, I've seen that stuff from Fallujah. I also know that um, there's a whole bunch. I mean, I don't know if you've, you've, you've been in Lugansk, you say, and yeah. maybe you've, I've been near burnt out cars uh -huh. uh, and the stink that they put out, the chemical stink, they're just mm -hmm. a single car, the, the, the chemical stink that they put out, I mean, that's stuff that, you know, you get all these household chemicals, they have warning signs on them. The, 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 so the amount of pollution, the amount of toxins that are put into the environment just through explosions, even before you get to thinking about depleted uranium. One of the main um, the teratogenic causes, apparently, from what I read years ago in a, in a, in a uh, medical, um, yeah, I think it was a new scientist actually, so, but it, I think it was taken from a medical journal, um, was that uh, extreme stress uh, for pregnant women Mm -hmm. um, I mean, extreme, not like having like a row with your family. No, or no, I mean, being in a war zone and getting bombed every day. <laughs> exactly, getting bombed or having to like, you know, uh, run for cover under a bombing situation, mm -hmm. getting injured, maybe not fatally, not even permanently, but having that happen while you're, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the sort of classic Hollywood trope of someone falling down the stairs and immediately mm -hmm. having a miscarriage. This is stuff like that times, you know, 20 or 100. Mm -hmm. So those things can also lead to birth defects, apparently. I mean, I didn't know that, but uh, apparently it does, as well as to, to stillbirths and so on. So there's a whole range of, of stuff. I mean, depleted uranium is, of course, worrying. Uh, I, I find it shocking that it's not just depleted uranium, but when we send bombs from the, the UK or from the US, uh, to Ukraine. I mean, where do people think these bombs are going to go off? They, they're going to go off in Ukraine. So they're one way or another, they're going to also destroy this country that we're supposed to be helping to save. So uranium is like that. Uranium says, okay, let's uh, poison this country, mm -hmm. this uh, supposed breadbasket country, the sunflower oil producer, and just uh, let all the people in the West who are like obsessed with organic food and stuff, let's see how, how much of their wheat and, and sunflower oil they're going to want to buy. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just, uh, the war needs to be ended, it's a negotiation. I mean, just, I mean, we're talking about Ukraine now, but, uh, we know Boris Johnson's role in stopping that last year. I, I guess the follow-up question is after um so okay, after 2000 in the late end of Bush uh, George W. Bush's uh second term, they did mm -hmm. something called the Sunni surge where they just gave right. a lot of weapons and uh, there was just everyone yeah. had a free for all. How did yeah. you record those deaths and what did it mean to you? Like, like, was it, what was different about it or was it the same old thing? Um, well, uh, one advantage of, of recording um, deaths by incident, which means you also look at uh, who's being targeted, who, what was the kind of, what was the kind of um, killing involved, uh, is that, um, you can observe certain patterns, including patterns that change over time. So one of the things that was we observed during the search, I think nobody else ever noticed, and to this day, I don't think it's ever been discussed by anyone much, except just something, an observation we had. 
police will, have always been one of the main ties. The police represent the states, whether they're just ordinary cops or if they're interior ministry, uh, you know, anti-terrorism type police who, who we essentially actually consider combatants and we don't include. But we do include ordinary police who are targeted nonetheless, uh, where, even if they're, they're not part of the uh, sort of um, uh, paramilitary type police. Mm -hmm. um, they were always targeted a, a heck of a lot. Then, they, then the, uh, you know, this brilliant idea of, of the, uh, the occupiers, I think, I guess it was their idea, maybe worked out with uh, their, their uh, allies, um, decided to assign these uh, Sons of Iraq, which are just basically kind of neighborhood watch systems, but with guns mm. <laughs> people are uh, protecting their own neighborhoods uh, and so on um and so um what did we notice that the the number of police were were going down the number mm -hmm. of police attacks on police this is just even the ordinary police was like really falling instead of like rising or being steady as they had been for years and years if finally they were falling guess whose numbers were going up Who's at the same time of course, these guys, these sons of Iraq, ah, they were targeted. Because so people the net result, seeing them as police, okay. They essentially became like, the, they became, now they became representatives of the government. So anti-government uh -huh. anti forces, we just target them. And, mm. you know, probably it was probably easier targets too, actually. Yeah, um, because they were probably poorly trained. They didn't have the same weapons experience and training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I mean, that's not to say that the surge didn't have any effect, but on the other hand, the surge also came at a time when a lot of the uh, ethnic cleansing the, or the sort of neighborhood cleansing mm -hmm. or on, on an ethnic or sectarian basis yeah. had uh, run its course. So you already had people, you know, uh, fleeing neighborhoods where they didn't feel safe anymore. I mean, we had a, you know, this situation uh, where, you know, um, okay. In 2010, WikiLeaks released the Iraq war logs along with their famous video, Collateral Murder. Yeah. And I think there were 20,000 or 30,000 logs, and it kind of showed a lot of targeting of civilians. So yeah. what? How, so what did Iraq Body Count, your website, do with regards to the WikiLeaks Iraq war logs? And did it have any impact on um, on public perception that you noticed? First of all, I don't think anything had as much impact on the public perception as the as the video. And uh, I will include the video right here um, in the description because yes, it is very intense for those who are listening. So there's a family in a white van that's just traveling, and then there's a helicopter, and it ends up attacking the entire family in the white van. And part of what's so horrifying about it is the sort of casual way, in fact, kind of gleeful way that the uh, helicopter pilots are describing their actions. Oh, yes. Which course, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's what chilled people to the bone. I, think I, I people... kind of uh, blocked the, their, uh, their words out in my memory, but you're right. It was yeah. very gleeful, casual, kind of celebratory, and it was an yeah. attack on a family. Yeah. So if you had any idea, any notion that these people would be inhibited in their attacks, it just showed you, no, there's no inhibitions, which means that uh, God knows what's going on in the attacks we don't have video for. Exactly. I've always wondered about that. For every attack that we have video or proof, and like, what is the dark place? Like, what what go, like what do we not know about is always the yeah. scary question. I mean, most of, so, uh, obviously, that video and maybe there are many other videos like it but they haven't been leaked <laughs> they're still exactly. under lock and key the, the attack killed a relatively small number of people compared to what's in the in the logs uh the log has a huge amount more deaths than that um and you know a huge amount of information about the details of where and when people were killed mm -hmm. um so uh we we worked closely with uh, WikiLeaks at the time. Um, we, uh, but I think we're probably the only uh, NGO that worked with WikiLeaks. Uh, everyone else, I think, were just sort of major media. What we sought to do um, was to look at the logs. By the way, they were not twenty 
to 30,000, there are 400,000 Okay, no, no, no. Okay, I, I found your website. Let me just read this. IBC estimates the Iraq war describes hitherto unreported details of 23,000 violent incidents in which Iraqi civilians were killed yes. or their bodies were found. A further yes. 2,000 events exclusively to these logs concern the deaths of Iraqi police and other security forces killed yeah. after capture. IBC yeah. have analyzed and integrated 860 of the 390 thousand logs into its public database yeah since then we've done a lot more mm -hmm. uh in particular my uh, my colleague uh, josh doherty who talks a little bit about that if you if you want to look it up uh, in an interview with richie uh, richard medhurst uh, yeah i know richard medhurst he's um he's uh yes i know exactly who he is he's a youtuber um he's also he's maybe from syria maybe i i forget yeah I think so yes but I, I think he's probably a british passport holder or something oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but yeah he has YouTube. a good show on youtube it's very well done when, when people ask me what my nationality is i say well it's just british for my passport so oh, wait, 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 yeah whenever i'm always like where are you like it, it's always this it's, and if i say american they're like where are you really from and then finally i realized i, I just made it, it, it yeah it's always an awkward question when you're children of immigrants <laughs> yes yeah uh so the the war logs had yeah if you're talking about the logs that had actual relevant information that we extracted and had found and so on that's that's yeah it's in that range but the actual logs that we had to go through to find those were four hundred thousand which is like a huge amount of work yeah. and that's why it's not even finished to this day wow um, it was i think we're probably the only people still engaged with the logs in any way and continued to be engaged with them for for years afterwards um because you know it was for everyone else it was like a big news then and so on but for us there's like oh god there's like a whole big body of work here that we mm -hmm. we need to to do um and what we uh, did was uh, basically go through the logs in a sort of random stochastic way uh, and mm -hmm. just pick out um uh, incidents and then see from that um how many of those incidents we already had and based mm -hmm. on that how many incidents we thought that a full review of the logs would add to our database. So that was the figure that was then put out quite a lot at the time, which is 15,000 mm -hmm. additional deaths that were not known to, they were not, so they're not recorded anywhere else. They just, uh, we expect to come out mm -hmm. of the logs. I think, I think it's like over 8,000 uh, deaths for which we had, there was no sort of detailed information. So it was like a death that we already had, but, uh, say from a morgue record or, or something like that, but with no detail because you know it's just it's just a, a one death, i.e., one added to the count of something that was recorded in a morgue in a particular town in a particular month uh, as as being uh, almost certainly the same thing. So we um, so there's a, 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 and then there are other cases where we did have the re record. Say for example, uh, bodies found on a particular day in Baghdad and be 23 bodies and then uh, we just yeah we just add up the number of bodies found they've found maybe in a few different neighborhoods but then in the in the war logs you'd actually have in some of these cases you'd have not identity of the people uh, who were killed mm. and why is it why why is the identity even there why did these uh, soldiers or, or you know the the uh, defense department go to the trouble of uh, discovering the names of these individuals. What was that for? And um, we tried to figure it out. Uh, we think possibly uh, because of uh, claims against US force, so that if, if somebody came along and said, your military killed this person, they could say, no, no, it's the body found in this particular place with clear signs that they were tortured and killed by, the, you know, a death squad, but not by U.S. soldiers. We didn't have any U.S. soldiers in the area at the time, etc. So they could just, uh, you know, identify uh, who was um, uh, that it was not them uh, as often as possible. I guess they would hope, uh, and then also to get sort of a, a handle on who was being targeted in ethnic terms, because from people's identities or names, you can often figure out what their uh, sort of um, ethno-religious background Indeed. is likely to be, and then therefore to sort of get a handle on, you know, how the civil war was 
going and who was being targeted and so on. So it's the only reasons we could figure out. But the thing is, why on earth was this stuff kept secret? These are these are civilians right. killed in war. What's what, what's secret about this? I mean, think about the families, the, the, usually women, who are going from morgue to morgue, hospital to hospital, police station to police station, trying to locate uh, their missing uh, sons, husbands, and so on. And, you know, you should just publish that stuff so that at least, you know, uh, people have that closure, which is one of the most you know, important things when when someone goes missing or someone is missing, possibly dead. Families need to know that stuff. And instead of the, putting these women through this additional agony, they were just kept secret in the sort of automatic way that, that uh, governments tend to do. I mean, actually, that's not just a, a complaint we have about the US military and so on. It's it's all officialdom. It's also yeah. the United Nations. They, they just give out these aggregate statistics of, I mean, if, if the uh, information that you are getting about, let's give you this example of Ukraine right now. If the information that was coming out was very specific on this day, in this particular place, there was like a mortar fire that led to the deaths of these individuals and give their names and so on. And then another day, this other thing. And that's why our total for this month is this. And then you could look at it and think, oh, wait a minute, they're like, they're not even covering this other area mm -hmm. where I know there's like a, there's an urban population or, or settlement, mm -hmm. and we know that they've been fighting there. There's nothing there. So when UN says the numbers are likely higher, we at least know where where to look or where that's likely to be. Yeah. Or you also we have. I mean, we've consistently had higher figures than any sort of record keeping source that we've. Uh, observed in, in, in Iraq, whether that's the health ministry, whether that's the UN, whether that's the interior ministry, and so on. But despite that, and, and, and the DOD, when they used to give out these aggregate figures as well, which are probably based on the war logs, um, you know, when, when they were still secret to them. Mm -hmm. uh, even if our figures for a particular month are transparent, you know, itemized figures, even if they are higher than this some other source, the health ministry say, or some other, uh, the morgues, if, um, if, or UNAMI, which is the uh, UN assistance mission to Iraq, who, who are doing this kind of recording like we do and putting out figures on a regular basis, but there'd always be aggregate figures. Mm -hmm. So when their figures are lower than ours, we, we can't, we, we seem to already have everything they have. But in reality, I'm sure there were like things that they had that we didn't have. Mm -hmm despite their figures being lower. I mean, mm -hmm. we'll never know because we weren't able to see what their stuff was based on. So I don't understand why uh, institutions are so secretive about this. We don't publish identifying details uh, of the injured, mm -hmm. um, even though we, re we record the injured at the same time as we record the dead. Um, because, you know, you're talking about People who, who have a right to their privacy is no mm -hmm. one's business, really, if they don't want to end, you know, and in conflict, they're also issues. And if they're the target of a hit, you don't want to put them in danger. <laughs> but put them in danger and also, you know, there's issues as, as such as sexual violence and so on that is, is it's not for us to just uh, uh, broadcast, even if it's appeared in public somewhere. So there's things that we, there's information that we keep back for, for you know, as sensible reasons like that but someone's death needs to be part of the public record and is mm -hmm. part of the public record uh, in in every society we take it for granted that you know when a plane crashes there will be like a rust you know someone is going to create a register of all the people killed in that plane crash mm -hmm. we have you know the example of like 9 11 and so on where oh, or in the uk 7 7 which was like this underground um tube tube um, uh, train uh, bombing. Yep. It's like a memorial, and the names are all listed, of course, because you know we we see them rightly as being victims. People in nine eleven too. But uh, for, for these all these other wars elsewhere, it's all uh, people throw their hands up and don't even try. And so one of the things we try to accomplish with with our work is to say, actually, if we can do it, you really can do it.
Absolutely. Yeah. There's no excuse, especially when you have so much surveillance available that we later learned from the Snowden leaks. Oh my God. Yes. So uh, we, we wrote a piece some time ago and um, I, I remember I wanted to put this sentence in and then we just took it out as kind of hyperbolic. Uh, it was just one of our pieces that we wrote and I wanted to put in something like, uh, you know, if, if, in this age, I can't remember when, but it was something like, if in this age of information, you know, where everybody has a credit rating, and this was even a few years back, just even before we knew about Snowden and so on, mm -hmm. um, everyone has like a credit rating, and yet we can't, you know, figure out who who died in conflict, and like, you know, we haven't really progressed too far from when we just had sticks and stones, because we still don't know. That. I mean, people in those times, actually did know who died and would give them proper burials if they had any means to do that and preserve their memories. I mean, you know, when we, uh, I gave a TED talk, I'm not really very good at that kind of thing, but I, I gave a TED talk and I began by talking about how we, we every time uh, there's a new study about Neanderthal, mm -hmm. people that one of the things, and we kind of go, oh, they're more like us than we thought in one way or another. And one of the ways that, that we've long thought that there was that there were essentially people is from the way they bury their dead and they would mm -hmm. put like flowers around the bird mm -hmm. and they'd the, be like their personal effects. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. obvious that they were doing burials the way we do burials. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of the things that tells us they're human. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, sadly, uh, we're uh, not quite at that level when it comes to people dying in uh, in distant lands, in wars that, that uh, just seem to be out of sight and out of mind. Music for this show is done by Rectex. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.